great to be here with you this morning. Uh, my name is Pete Stacey. Uh, I am uh, normally here in the evenings. And uh, we have a, a lovely time in the evenings too. Last week we looked at humility, the beginning of this chapter. And uh, this morning we're going to continue looking at humility. Last week we focused uh, not just on the definition of humility, that's on the screen there, but particularly on the focus uh, on the example rather of Jesus in verses 5 to 11. He's the greatest example of humility the world has ever seen. He had all of heaven's power on earth, but remember his attitude? He didn't use it to his own advantage. Instead, he submitted to God and served others, even to the point of dying for us on the cross. Uh, so today we're looking at some more examples of humility. Paul in verses 14 to 18. Timothy in verses 19 to 24, and Epaphroditus in verses 25 to 30. Uh, if you're taking notes, it says uh, a priceless pair. Maybe you should change that to a terrific trio. Uh, and before we're through, look, I want to address an issue uh, that I believe catches many Christians unprepared. It's a subtle trap of the devil that I want to expose in case it's catching you out. And it's particularly re relevant to our understanding and practice of virtues like humility. So let's pray as we begin. Loving Father God, I thank you for helping me prepare, and yet I also acknowledge my fallibility. So help us all to be discerning listeners. Please open our minds to understand your truth. And then help us to be obedient listeners. Quick to repent of wrong ideas and behaviours. And quick to humbly follow you in obedience. Amen. Well, be honest with me. When you heard verse 14, did you think of yourself or someone else? Look at it. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Life would be so much more pleasant if everyone else obeyed that verse, wouldn't it? I can easily think of a dozen people who I reckon need to put that into practice immediately. But do I? Do I really seek to obey this verse for the glory of God and the good of His people? Now, some of you might be thinking, isn't there a place for arguing, for, for presenting a case for something? standing up for a good cause? I mean, what about someone like William Wilberforce, who argued for years that slavery should be abolished? Oh, what about Christian politicians in our own day, who argue for good and godly bills to be passed? In fact, what about the Apostle Paul? In Acts 19, verse 8, the writer says, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Well, why is that wrong then, in light of verse 14? Well, we need to read verse 14 carefully and in context. You see, the whole chapter here is about humility. Uh, as our key verse last week reminded us, verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And so here in verses 14 to 15, 
Paul is contrasting believers with the warped and crooked ways of the world. Unbelievers might use their words for their own interests, grumbling, arguing. Followers of Christ, on the other hand, are to be motivated by considering the interests of others above themselves. It's not just our words, even forceful words, or no words at all, that matters so much to God. But our motive, our motive as well. God gave us the gift of speech. And he wants us to be startlingly different to the world. Blameless and pure, writes Paul, in the way we use that gift. I remember camping in the Warren Bungles when I was in primary school. And at night, if you walked away from the campfire and looked up... That's kind of what you saw. Stars, just amazing. Millions of little lights piercing the darkness. As we use our words in a humble way for the benefit of others, Paul says we will shine among them, shine in the world like stars in the sky. What a beautiful picture. Our lives, our words, our behaviour piercing the darkness with the light of Christ. And friends, the only way we can consistently do this is right there in verse 6. We must hold firmly to the gospel, the word of life. And the next bit's a little bit surprising. We see Paul's humility in what he boasts about. This sounds like a contradiction at face value, doesn't it? Uh, let me ask you, what sort of things do you boast about? The size of the fish you caught? How many friends you've got on Facebook, perhaps? How big that wave was. That's one of mine. Um, how cute your kids are. How successful they might be. How fast your car is or your motorbike. Uh, just hypothetically. Just hypothetically. Um, how good you were at school, or perhaps how bad you were at school. Paul's boast, what is it? Is that God might have, may have used his life to help other people. In this case, the believers in Philippi. Even though he knows he might die soon for his faith, it's possible. That's a bit about being poured out like a drink offering. His attitude is to rejoice because he can see God at work in the sacrifice and service coming from the faith of the Philippian believers. And so what does he want? He wants the Philippians to rejoice with him because God is clearly at work among them. Friends, let's pray. Let's pray that the joy of God's spirit will overwhelm the worldly spirit of grumbling and arguing. And then there's the example of Timothy. He was young. He was bright. He had many great qualities. He had all the marks of an emerging leader. So note what Paul says about him. Verse 20. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, 
For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself. Because as a son of his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. He has served with me in the work of the gospel. He could have stayed at home, couldn't he? He could have gone to uni or done a trade and become a great builder or architect or musician or politician or something else, maybe a general in the army. But instead, because of his genuine concern for the welfare of others over himself, Timothy became a preacher, a church planter, a pastor many miles from his childhood home. And there's lots of people like him today, aren't there? I was so encouraged reading the latest news update from the Sparks. Thanks for playing for them this morning, Julie. Uh, they're one of our link missionaries. And they've left the familiarity of Australia. And family, relatives, friends, to share the good news about Jesus in Spain. Talk about humility in action. And listen to this prayer point in their latest update. That's highlighted. I don't know if you can read that from where you are. It says this. Please join us in asking God to keep breaking our pride, sounds like last week's sermon, that we would genuinely love and prefer others. Wow. What a great example of humility. What a great thing to pray for them and for ourselves. What might humility look like, like in your life? Perhaps you'll be a Paul who deliberately invested in young Timothy and trained him and took him along as an apprentice in ministry and wrote letters to him when they were apart. Two of those letters made into the Bible, in fact. One and two Timothy. And Paul was looking to the needs of Timothy and all those who Timothy might impact above himself. Uh, let me ask you, who could you invest in in a deliberate way for the sake of the Perhaps you'll be a Timothy. Perhaps you will submit your life to God in full-time gospel ministry. Look into the interest of others above yourself, no matter where God might take you in the world. Or perhaps you'll be an Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was simply a messenger. He gave up a little bit of time that he had to take a gift from Philippi to Rome, where Paul was in prison. That's a fair journey. Without a motorbike. <laughs> it may have been finances. It may have been clothing. It may have been some form of medical care. It may have been uh, parchments for writing his letters. We don't know the exact details. But Epaphroditus had the gift of some time. And instead of a holiday in the Greek Isles, which is around the corner, beautiful, he used it to serve God and to help other people. So humble. So others-centered. I wonder how you and I might be able to use the time God has given us. The various gifts He has equipped us with. And the resources and the riches He has blessed us with to serve right thing to do. 
And can I say, there's no guarantee it'll pay off in this life. Look at Paul. He was in prison. Timothy was far away from home. And Epaphroditus, see verse 30, he almost died for the work of Christ. Here you go. But God calls us to be humble, to submit to Him, and to serve others. Three fantastic examples of humility for us to learn from. But before I finish, I mentioned a trap that I believe catches many Christians out. Now, I, I don't often do this, but I want to kind of springboard from uh, a verse in this passage and address a particular pastoral, pastoral issue, which I think is very important. As we read verse 15, have a look at it. As we read verse 15, did you feel that warped and crooked was a little over the top? I mean, it's how we might think of the terraces in New Zealand this week, but not our unsaved family or friends. Not the many good people in the world who might be Christians, uh, might not be Christians, but they seem pretty caring and, and thoughtful and even humble. Got a sticky page. I'm going to say some of those people are gifted thinkers and writers and speakers, and they say really helpful things about life and how we should live. And it sounds good. In fact, some of it sounds a lot like things that the Bible says. And so we listen to them, and we learn from them, and we quote them, and we may not realize that we're in great danger. It's a subtle danger. Because, you see, in His grace, God allows believers and unbelievers to grasp all kinds of wisdom that He has built into the world. Scientific things, mechanical things, psychological things, even musical things. Isn't it wonderful? And so on. There's order and design and emotion and wonderful variety in the created order. And so they describe it and analyze it and come up with all kinds of ways of understanding it and understanding people. They say lots of really helpful stuff, but here's the trap. They do so without reference to God himself. Paul says in Romans 1 that God can be clearly seen by the things he has made. And he goes on to say that people exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve created things rather than the creator. And there's nothing we'd like to worship more in our world today, I think, than human potential. Here's a picture on the screen of a warped piece of timber, oh, there's four of them actually, and a crooked river. Warped and crooked. Hold a ruler against it, and, well, instantly you can see how out it is. Now, friends, God's word is that ruler in our lives. The river is so obviously crooked, we're not likely to think that it's straight. Can I say, well-known atheists like Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, Christopher Hitchens, we might admire their God-given intelligence and listen to some of their ideas, but they're so anti-God, we can see the danger of blindly following everything they say. I think that's lesser danger 
But the timber, it's close, isn't it? You can even use it for a ruler over a short distance, maybe underline your Bible even. The trouble is, over a long distance, the timber would be miles away from the ruler. I want to say this morning that influential and godly so God-gifted people, people like, oh, I'm going to throw out some names, you can probably think of others, people like Oprah, Ellen, Dr. Phil, Jordan Peterson, and others, they might even claim to be Christian, and we can listen to their wisdom, and we might be captivated by their humor or warmth or candor, but if God is not their reference point, we need to be very discerning. Over years, your life will be far from God and His truth if you follow the teaching but fail to hold firmly to the word of life. Now, how does this relate to humility? Well, after cruising the internet for quite a while, I printed off 10 pages of helpful advice on how to think, speak, and behave with humility. The trouble is, God wasn't mentioned once. Being humble had nothing to do with submitting to God. And that's the problem. You see, if we remove God from our moral framework, then we lose His ruler for life. So as I read those ten pages more carefully, I began to notice many things that actually didn't agree with Scripture. I could easily swallow them along with all the good bits. If we remove God from our moral framework, then we may think our lives are actually straight because we've done away with the ruler. Therefore, God should let us into heaven because of our own goodness and achievements. That means Christ died for nothing. If we remove God from our moral framework, then our motive for change becomes improving self instead of honouring God. We bow to the idol of human potential instead of worshipping the one true God who created us and sent his love upon us in Christ. If we remove God from our moral framework, then we lose the power for real change in this life because we don't submit to His Spirit at work in our hearts. And if we remove God from our moral framework, then we just might end up being friendly, well-respected citizens, but lost for change. And that's a grave danger. Friends, we are constantly bombarded by a million ideas about how to approach every aspect of life, but it often comes packaged in ways that are contrary to what God has shown us in His Word. In verse 15, yeah, that bit about the warped and crooked people was actually a quote from Deuteronomy 32, verse 5, and it was addressed to God's people because they didn't want to listen to God or live their lives. Let us learn from their mistake. 
That's repentant thinking. We can be wise without soaking our minds in the truth of God's Word. Let's repent of not being more discerning about worldly ideas that shape the way we talk and think and behave. Let's repent of trying to be moral without submitting our lives to God. Instead, let's learn to discern every 